In the United States, there are more than a quarter of a million cases of the coronavirus, and death tolls continue to rise. How is the COVID-19 pandemic spreading in other parts of the world? We've heard reports that new cases of COVID-19 have decreased in China, but what about parts of the world like Africa, Asia, and the Middle East? The Middle East is one of the most vulnerable geographic areas because of extreme poverty, unstable government regimes, and the ongoing and devastating effects of war and conflict. The BBC called the coronavirus in the Middle East a ticking time bomb that could result in even more war and death. How is the coronavirus spreading and affecting the Middle East? That's what we'll be discussing today. I'm Mae Cannon, and this is Hashtag Activism. Just last week, the World Health Organization warned that the Middle East must act quickly to contain the coronavirus, and that the number of cases nearly doubled in just one week in a region with health systems that are already eroded by conflict. One analysis from an Israeli newspaper reported that the economic impact could decimate the Middle East, resulting in wealthy Gulf states no longer providing aid to struggling Arab neighbors that might lay off millions of foreign workers. Last year, The Economist identified Yemen as the greatest humanitarian crisis of our time. So what does the coronavirus look like in places that are war-torn by conflict and with millions of displaced people and refugees, like in Syria, Lebanon, and other parts of the Middle East? Just last November, I had the opportunity to spend some time in northern Iraq. After meeting with Yazidis, Christians, and other Iraqi minority groups, I saw firsthand the challenges of rebuilding after the control and defeat of ISIS in 2018. How are those communities not yet recovered from years of terror going to survive the coronavirus? Speaking with us today is Carla Kijoyan, who's been serving as the program executive for the Middle East at the World Council of Churches since September 2017. A Lebanese Christian who's a part of the Armenian Orthodox Church, Carla has worked with the World Council of Churches in various capacities for the past 10 years. I could think of no one better to give us a broad understanding of how COVID-19 is playing out in the Middle East, and more specifically, how the church in the Arab world is responding to the crisis. We had already uh, economic difficulties in most of the Arab countries, so which meant that no government was investing in the health structure. We don't really have any public insurance facilities, uh, health public insurance facilities in most of the Arab countries. But the population do not have access to health facilities. This is one. But on the other hand, um, some of the countries have been receiving a lot of refugees and displaced people from Iraq and Syria. In Iraq, there was no government in place because of the protests that were taking place. So there is no government to really manage the crisis, the health crisis. In Syria, because of the war, in Lebanon, we were already facing the, one of the most difficult economic crises since uh, before the civil war. The banks were already closing. People were not having access to their funds, to the funds that were in the banks already. Corruption was already really at, at, at its peak. Um, 
people were already in the streets. So uh, poverty, the poverty in general was very, very high. People were struggling with these issues. And now suddenly they were confined in their homes uh, without any facilities. So no access to food, uh, no income at all. Yes, uh, they had to respect these laws. They are confined. They don't want to contaminate others or to keep on their health. But then how do they live? So there are a lot of of these kind of difficulties. And then the refugees, how can you ask them to stay to keep social distancing in the camps when there are already many uh, in very small spaces? And then uh, how will they get... the food or how will they get the, the assistance that they were getting if it's not allowed to move anymore so that the organizations or the NGOs can get them these assistance. So the situation is very complex. I had the privilege and opportunity to travel with one of your colleagues um, in northern Iraq, for example, and we were in the Yazidi refugee camps. And I mean, some of the things that we saw, I mean, it was 5,000 people living in this camp. When you talk about the way that there were challenges before the coronavirus, and now they will only be exacerbated. Like when I think about the Yazidis in northern Iraq, um, are they able to travel in and out of the camps? You know, like what happens when COVID-19 hits? I mean, because they didn't have healthcare before, will they just have to suffer? I mean, what will that look like? No, no. Actually, um, they, they are not allowed to travel at all. So they are all confined within the camp. Now, northern uh, the government of northern Iraq, the Kurdistan, was able to manage the situation in a way that there was no cases of COVID-19 in the north. All the refugees stayed in the camps. Nobody was able to move for a couple of weeks. I think for two weeks, people were not allowed to go out. And only the Red Cross or some of the international organizations were allowed to give the food uh, or water to these uh, people who were in the camp, but no one was allowed to go out. And so far, they managed to keep the virus out of this region. Wow. And is the hope that that would be permanent or that I mean, what's the long-term plan in that regard? What they are hoping is that they will keep the virus out because it would be a real disaster if the virus comes in, exactly because of the lack of health facilities. Already they don't have a lot of hospitals in northern Iraq for the Iraqi population itself. So imagine with those big numbers of refugees who are there, there is no way that they can respond to the needs of uh, to the medical needs of these populations. So the only way, their only choice is to prevent. Prevention is the only way forward, and that is the way they are so far trying to face the situation. In the rest of Iraq, they had couple of they had several cases, in, especially in the south, in, in Najaf, etc. Um, but they were still able to limit it somehow. Uh, and treat the cases they had, and then with the confinement measures, um, they were able to manage so far. But uh, prevention is really the only choice they have. Otherwise, it's, it's a huge disaster. We've been hearing a lot about Iran and all the cases in Iran. What's the situation there? 
Iran is an, is another very very sad situation because the government tried to keep a good image about itself and they did not reveal the whole truth about what's happening about the real numbers they tried to to keep it like it's not a very serious situation and uh, the churches were very serious they took the situation very seriously they they uh, they told the people not to gather they they closed the churches to big gathering. They restricted marriages, funerals from the beginning, from the very beginning. So the Christian community was somehow protected, but not the, the big uh, the Iran community. And it's only now that the people are somehow upset from the government saying that they, they did not know the whole truth about it. And the major uh, challenge was at the Nehru's um, at the Nehru's feast, that was around 21, 22 March, and that is the uh, Persian New Year, people, uh, there was no confinement measures, so people left the city to go and celebrate with their families in the villages. And the thought is that at this time, they took this, uh, the disease was spread in the villages, while so far it was really in the big city. But we don't know really the numbers. We don't know what is happening really. Uh, we don't see everything in the media. So on one side, you have the government that is not really helping the people prevent this disease from spreading. And on the other side, you have all the U.S. sanctions and all the international sanctions that is not helping the government to have the means to treat these people uh, so the situation is very, very, very sad in Iran. But gladly, gladly, our our religious leaders, our Christian leaders, are aware. They are they have been more responsible than the other, and they were able to somehow uh, ask the Christian community to voluntarily self isolate themselves. For Americans who might be listening to this conversation, I think the big fear or concern is there's all this conflict in the Middle East or there's a lack of political stability. So do you think the virus will affect that? I mean, the big concern is, will this explode and become more violence in the Middle East, right? So the gap between the government and the population is widening because people are no more aware about all this corruption that all this aid and money that was coming and uh, the political uh, elite was really uh, stealing this money. But on the grassroots level, they are now more uh, aware that it didn't matter to which political party they, they belong or to which religious group or ethnic group. They are all of them uh, have no access to medical facilities, have no income. Uh, they are all facing this challenge together. Uh, they are all somehow victims, not of COVID, but victims of these corrupt government structures that are unable to protect them. So you are, we are, we are witnessing more of uh, cohesion among the grassroots communities who are aware of of being victim of these political structures that have been using them and have been using this uh, religious, ethnic, political diversity in order to keep these tensions more and more active, uh, dividing them uh, in order to gain more money and more benefit and more profit. So what we're, what we're seeing is more co social cohesion, social solidarity, those who have some food, uh, sharing it with the others, those who are able to get out and get medication, giving sharing the medication with the others, 
and, and not not a lot of division, even among political parties, but only on the grassroots level. And what do you think the long-term repercussions of that are? I mean, unity between those in civil society across religious divides or political divides, how might that manifest itself in terms of responding to the political realities? Yeah, well, the hope is that if this uh, this continues on the long term and once this crisis is over, that the people will really hold the decision makers accountable and will demand uh, reparation and will ask for a change of this whole political systems. Will no longer be fragile and uh, accept to be used uh, or to use these differences, political, religious, ethnic uh, diversity for the benefit of uh, corruption, let's say. But we will see. I mean, we, we don't know how long this will continue, if this is sustainable or not. But we do hope that this will bring a real change of structures on the long term. That sounds hopeful. That sounds like it could be a positive outcome from a terrible situation. It could be. We, we hope that it will be. So my understanding of your background, Carla, is that you're from Lebanon. Do you have family there? What's happening in Lebanon? Yes, I do. My family is still in Lebanon. Uh, I'm from the Armenian Orthodox Church, so we live in an Armenian neighborhood. Um, my, they are confined. Uh, it's not a complete lockdown, but they are only um, they only have the right to go out to bring food or medication. What they uh, share is on the level of spirituality, religion, if you want, that there is, um, there are again two sides. On one side, there is this atmosphere, ap- apocalyptic atmosphere. Like people are afraid uh, that it's the end of the world, that God is now punishing uh, us, etc. Whether it was from the Christian side or the Muslim side, because as you know, Lebanon is. Um, half Christian, half Muslim. So you hear a lot of uh, these priests coming with their cars or a lot of uh, uh, on the speakers uh, from, from imams or from priests that the God is it's the end of the world, you need to repent, etc., etc., which is kind of misleading. It's misconception of religion because God is love. God does not punish us. Uh, COVID is not a punishment. It, the virus doesn't come from God. I mean, even people have been asking me, so do you think God is uh, sent us this virus to punish us because we have not been good Christians, etc.? Wow. Uh, which is surprising to hear all of these misconceptions. So we really need to work on this um on the spirituality of love, God is love. God does not punish people like that. The main physical humanitarian need of people today in the Middle East is really poverty. I mean, like here in Europe, the government are finding ways of uh, helping people who are confined at their homes so that they continue having a minimum kind of income so that they can live. But those ways are not uh, possible in the Middle East. Even middle-class people today, they don't have any income, so there's no way to find food. All these organizations, NGOs, local NGOs or international NGOs who are providing uh, just food and medication to the people, if they can support these organizations, that would be great because people today in the Middle East, in Lebanon, in Syria, in Iraq, not only the refugees, but also the local people, 
I mean, refugees have also these long-term um, committed organizations who are helping them. But today, the locals, the Lebanese, the Syrians, the Iraqis, the locals, those who have received these refugees, themselves have no access to food, to medication, to the basic needs uh, with human dignity. But on the other side, you see a lot of people going through more spirituality, the need of spirituality, the need of prayer, and the, the image of taking the church to the people. So let's say for yesterday, yesterday on Palm Sunday in Lebanon, uh, we saw a lot of priests, bishops, archbishops taking the, uh, the, the ritual of uh, Palm Sunday to the streets, to the people, because the people could not go to the church. And people in Lebanon give a lot of importance to this ritual of going to the church and taking the blessed uh, palm, uh, the branch of olive tree from the church, to taking it to home. So uh, the, each church blessed the olive tree uh, branches inside the church, and then they took it into the neighborhoods and distributed it to the people in their homes which uh, gave a lot of comfort to the people. I think the church is also questioning itself again and, and recreating itself and finding new ways of taking the church to the people instead of waiting the people to come to church. We are becoming a church beyond its walls. This is what our uh, Armenian Catholicos used to say. Uh, what does it mean to be a church beyond its walls? We are witnessing that. And again, it's something positive. It's a moment of, of uh, re-questioning ourselves and re-finding the meaning of what it means to be a church, uh, what it means to be Christian, a Christian from the Middle East, witnessing to our faith, to our Lord, in a different way than what we have been doing for so long. How do we move beyond hashtags and respond to the Middle East and the coronavirus? Carla mentioned that some of the greatest needs in the Middle East are humanitarian ones. And I don't think we can underestimate our commitment to engage and support organizations that are responding by providing food, shelter, medical care, and other forms of relief and assistance. Certainly, it's one of the most effective ways to respond. If you're able, Give money to organizations that are doing great work responding to direct needs. Some that you might want to consider include the Christian Development Organization, World Vision, or Oxfam International. I provide information about these groups on the resource page for this podcast at my website at www.maycannon.com. In addition to giving money to directly respond, the power of solidarity with others has never been more important than as we're going through global isolation. The World Council of Churches has a resource called Coping with the Coronavirus, where it recommends ways that we can pray as the global church. This is incredibly important as it relates to the Middle East, because often the church in the Arab world says that it feels neglected by the church in other parts of the world. Many denominations and churches are having special prayer meetings and days of prayer. Consider having one for the church in the Middle East and for the ways that those in other Middle Eastern countries are affected by COVID-19. In March, the Southern Baptist Convention had a prayer gathering where they had a day of prayer and they asked for God's mercy. They prayed for government leaders and they prayed for wisdom and for all the aid workers that are responding to COVID-19 around the world. 
One Planets team decided to provide an opportunity for all faith traditions to join together in a chain of continuous prayer at their website called lightuptheworld.org. Churches of Middle East Peace, the nonprofit that I lead, has ways to engage both in solidarity with the church in the Middle East and to engage in political activism and advocacy. We call Churches for Middle East Peace CMEP, and at CMEP, after Easter, we're going to be having a conversation every Tuesday morning with religious leaders from the Middle East as a part of our Easter Tide Meditations. You can find out more information about that at the CMEP website, www.cmep.org. We have opportunities for you to learn, to engage with your elected officials about ways current U.S. policies are negatively affecting the Middle East. For example, we're calling on the U.S. government to release humanitarian funds that were already appropriated by Congress to help people in the West Bank and Gaza who will be disproportionately affected by the coronavirus. At CMAP, we often say, may we both pray for peace and work for justice. All of these efforts might just be small steps, but they're steps in the right direction as we together seek to respond to the immediate crisis of coronavirus in the Middle East and work toward peace. Much of the content from our conversations during episodes of Hashtag Activism come from my upcoming book, Beyond Hashtag Activism, Comprehensive Justice in a Complicated Age, out with InterVarsity Press on May 26th. You can pre-order your copy today at a local bookstore like heartsandmindsbooks.com or wherever books are found.